subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hello, all you budding adventurers. My name's James, and welcome back to another episode of the 9to5ADV podcast, where we aim to talk about affordable and accessible adventure bike riding. With me is my regular co-host, Russ. Hey, how's it going, James? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. I'm hot and sweaty in these bike pants, but I'm all right. How about you? Well, I'm not bad. I'm not bad. Um, At least you rode in this week, rather than bringing the the leaf. What's wrong with that? I I care about the environment. And, well, yeah. I mean, it's a motorcycle blog, well, blog and podcast. So I feel that you should probably ride in occasionally. All right, fine. Not <laughs> if it rains. I've got I've got expensive equipment. I've got to take with me every time. Fair enough. <laughs> um, so I guess the big news at the moment is the uh, is the announcement from uh, from old Bojo. Was it yesterday? I think uh, restri- relaxations on the rules from the fourth of July. What do you think about them? Well, I'm not going to be running out to the pub as much as I want to. I think everyone's going to run out to the pub, and I think that's a stupid idea. Yeah, I'm inclined um, to agree. You, were you not in the queue at Primark last last week, <laughs> camping out overnight? You like no. camping? So. I do like camping, but not no, not, not for one pa- not for one pound thongs. <laughs> Although James no. does like one pound thongs. Do I? I've got more class than that. Anyway, no, um, camping, staying overnight. Um, we can finally go and do stuff again. It's exciting. I'm gonna. I'm heading up. I'm putting plans in. Go see my brother. We're gonna head up onto Salisbury Plain on on that weekend, which should be good. Awesome. And I believe two weeks after that, Scotland opens up as well. I'm not sure about Wales, to be honest, but um, Scotland is open for tourism. Um, so B and Bs and things are opening from the 15th of July. Um, so that's pretty exciting as well because that opens up the North Coast 500 for a lot of riders as well as a lot of. Uh, sort of off the beaten track stuff yeah yeah we mentioned it last week about places you can go and i you know i think scotland is one of the most adventurous it's definitely one of the most remote places you can go in the country if you want to get you know some real adventure this year without going abroad so yeah good news good news um before we jump into it i'm just going to mention i spent hours editing last week's episode and realizing how cringy and awkward we both sounded so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna try and go a bit loosey goosey this this week and try and sound a bit more natural and conversational. 
Fair enough. Not a bad shout. And then by episode three, we'll find some happy medium. You can also just cut all this out anyway. Yeah. So it's fine. <laughs> cool. So what are we going to chat about today? Well, I mean, we uh, we we told everyone last week, so the, the aim of this week is to look in more detail at your current motorcycle, the Tenere 700. Yep. Ideal. So we're going to go everything. What? The history of the bike. Um, we've got some facts about it. I'm going to review it myself. Um, advice for anyone that's looking to buy. All competitors, that sort competitors. of stuff. Yeah, basically ev- everything. We've got some questions as well. I put it out on, on our Instagram story uh, yesterday for some questions. I've got some questions from, from some of our followers as well. So hopefully if you've got any question or anything you want to know about the Tenere, we should. Should be pretty comprehensive. Should be covering here. it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to start off then by just going through a little bit of the, the history of the bike, really. So the name Tenere has been a name associated with Yamaha for a long time. But the, the, the word Tenere uh, actually means desert, wilderness or solitude in the northern African languages of the Tuareg and the Berber. So, uh, And it's also a part of the Sahara Desert. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just going to jump in because it's not in our notes. But I, I was watching a YouTube video this morning and the Tenere Desert was where the founder of the Dakar, who I'm sorry, I can't remember his name, but that's where he got lost in the first race. Is that right? Okay. And almost died. And he got lost in the Tenere Desert because the original Paris-Dakar didn't go through Tenere. But the guy that founded it got lost on that first race. And, and then, ended up in Tenere. And, and in Tenere. And then he created the Paris-Dakar, as we know. Because the name Tenere is synonymous with the Dakar now, and it was, well, after the first race then, obviously, um, one of its toughest past stages when, when it was held in Africa. Um, and it's an area with virtually no rainfall, frequent sandstorms, and I guess, yeah, a pretty dreadful place to find yourself, um, especially if you're lost. Um, so having won the, uh, the 1979 and the 1980 Dakar, on what's now the iconic XT500, uh, a bike we're going to come back to later on in the podcast. Um, Yamaha wanted to capitalise on the exploding popularity of the rally. So in 1983, they brought out the XT600Z Tenere. Uh, The first iterations of the bike were single-cylinder, kick-start, relatively simple bikes. Um, But in 86, they introduced electric start, um, and in 88 the bike gained its kind of full rally fairing and became, I guess, a, what we would now class as a, looking like an adventure bike, as the earlier bikes looked more like beefed-up motocrosses, which, of course, the original Dakar Rallye bikes were. They didn't have bespoke machinery uh, in the first place. It was all um, kind of bodged and big bikes that had been made to work off-road. Now, of course, we've got custom machinery. Um, so then in 1989... Yamaha announced the first multi-cylinder Tenere, um, which came with a 750cc 69 horsepower twin motor. Um, And the new power and smoothness of the motor um, meant the bike was much more comfortable at higher road speeds and was more accessible to normal road riders. So a little bit of a um, departure maybe from its roots, uh, but probably a bike that appealed to a a wider audience than the original. Um, 1990s, the single version, a single cylinder version of the Tenere, uh, lost its way a little bit, in my opinion. Um, had more of a road focus, less rally orientated styling, um, although it was tweaked in '94 to kind of get a little bit of that back. Um, but it wasn't really for uh, almost 10 years, I guess, until in 2008 the Tenere name returned, um, 
in the form of the XT660 Tenerain, and that is a bike we're going to speak about, I think, in future episodes as a great used buy. Um, if someone's looking for a, a first big adventure, well, sort of adventure bike moving on from green laners, um, and that bike had fuel injection and all new design, um, and it still remains very popular today. Um, in 2010, we saw the largest capacity Tenere ever, um, 1200cc, shaft drive, 110 horsepower, dubbed the Super Tenere. Um, it had all-day comfort, great real-world performance, um, and pretty much unrivaled reliability. Uh, and all of that meant that it should have been the bike to knock the GS off its throne. Um, however, despite great publicity from Nick Sanders riding one around the world, um, sales of the Super 10, in the UK at least, um, were never especially groundbreaking. Um, but still, I mean, if you're looking for a big adventure bike today uh, with all the mod cons on, it's a great used buy um, if you can find one out there. They're kind of really like nice examples going for just under 10k now. Well, yeah, definitely, because it's not one, it's not a bike, I mean, it's not even a bike that me or you would think of if, you know, someone came in, you say, you know, someone came in here and said, Ross, I want a big, big adventure bike. Yeah, absolutely. And we're not a BMW dealer, but I would, you know, be pointing them towards the Tiger 1200 for road use or versus 1000. And yeah, for whatever reason, the Tenere 12 has just fallen a little bit by the wayside. And it's it's not a bike that springs to mind. But every single owner I've spoken to that's owned one or does own one absolutely raves about them. They're fantastic machines. So um, well worth a look at if you're looking for a large capacity adventure bike. Um, so, James, I guess if you go through now, then, um, kind of the conception and the, the intro to the Tenere 700, because it's something that you, obviously, as a buyer of the bike, followed very, very closely right from its inception. Mm, yeah. So, I mean, 2016 when we was when we first saw the concept, which was great, because that was in my adventure bike years. I got a Tiger in 2015, which is when I started uh, adventure bike riding. So, it was, you know, it was on my radar um so i've got a personal history with it it launched um at the eichma uh, milan show and then later on in the year at the nec which is where i saw it the the concept i put it on my instagram last week actually the picture i took that was in 2016 was it you first saw the concept yeah yeah so three a good three years before the bike finally launched and um looking at the picture it's it's not too far off the you know what went into production obviously they had to they had to make it more user friendly for the average user the the concept was much much more off road based and they dialed a few things back but kept other things so yeah and of course they've got to re- they've got to meet you know um regulations and it's got to be a, a bike that's ergonomically yeah r- right it, for the average rider exactly yeah and and then the the following so the following year 2017 uh, it went into production and testing began to take place. Now, this was, um, you may uh, remember this, I definitely do, was the World Raid program, which was, it was, I remember it as a series of YouTube videos and, and media releases, but it basically was a program in 2018 where different riders throughout the world, they, they sort of delivered this bike in a, in the video. They deliver the bikes in the box and then the, the panels fall off and then these different riders in these different countries would then go and just, blast the bike around yeah, and they had it in the i think the australian outback yeah. was one location and yeah south africa all that and then um the uk one was nick sanders um, oh, i didn't realize there was a uk version was yeah. that was that in set in wales or i can't remember okay to be honest um but it wasn't as was, wasn't as exciting as as africa or, or the aussie outback and unfortunately 
So that was 2018. That was 2018. Fast forward to 2019, and where were we? Were we May, June? What, deliveries? No, pre-order. No, pre-orders were March, I believe. Was it March? That yeah, far yeah, back? Yeah, I believe it was right the way back in March. Mm. So Yamaha have, have done the system like this before, where you can't just walk into a dealership and buy the bike out of the showroom from the first instance. You've got to effectively, not apply for one, but you have to register your interest online, Yamaha then contacts the dealer who gets in touch with the customer who pays a deposit to the dealer who then says to Yamaha, yes, they'll have it. I mean, it how, sounds a bit convoluted. How quickly did we get that done? It was about 10 minutes. Yeah, I think I can't remember exactly, but whatever date it was, the system went live at, I don't know, something like 12, 12 o'clock. I was, I was in the middle of work. Yeah. And James, uh, yeah, you did it on your lunch break, right? And, and the funny thing is, was I wasn't even going to buy the bike. It wasn't until you texted me and said, it's live, give me your money that I made the decision to get the bike because I was I was quite happy I was I was out I would we'd we'd um we'd gone and ridden I'd had my tiger we'd take it to the Taffy Dakar had great fun riding off road I was comfortable with the bike I'd spent a bit of money on the bike I thought this will do I don't need to change the bike right up until they went they went live I am Denard and then you texted me and said give me your money and I thought Let's just do it. Well, the thing was, with with that system as well, though, we knew that the Tenere was going to be a huge success. And worst case scenario, you ordered the bike, didn't want it. We had people queuing up to put deposits down on these things. So it really wasn't going to be a drama. We just passed your order on to the next person in the list. So it wasn't a worry. But it was an unusual one for Yamaha in that the, the Tenere is not a super limited edition, ultra expensive, um, you know, piece of like motorcycle Gucci um, exotica. So they've done it before, but only with the R1M, and which is 20 odd grand or whatever it is. Super Gucci. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and they've always wanted to keep the R1M very limited in terms of the production numbers. Um, and so that system worked for that. So it was the first time they tried it with a proper production model. And for the most part, it, wor- it worked pretty well. There's a few issues with color, colors getting muddled up. <laughs> We're not going to get into that. <laughs> but no, it, it was a good system. And what it definitely did was generated a load of hype for the bike. And it was mad. It was absolutely mad. And it, it sorted the people that were willing to commit early from the people that were either dreaming or wanting to test ride and the people that, like yourself, that have been looking at this bike and following its uh, its journey for the last three years. Because, let's face it, you had to put up whatever it was, 500 quid, without potentially having sat on one even, let alone ridden one. Um, so it's a big deal for a lot of people. But we got a load of pre-orders. Um, which meant that bikes were coming in and out straight away. We got people on the road really quickly on them, um, which was which was great for us, great for Yamaha, and, and great for the people buying them. Yamaha did sweeten the deal slightly, didn't they? Yeah, six hundred quid off retail. Well, no, it wasn't six hundred quid off retail. It was that it was that price, and then they and then they increased it by very quickly. They realised how popular the bike was. Yeah, and it, <laughs> they went from I think it was yeah eight four up to what it is now nine grand. So it was not. I think that was really nice though for the people that put. The, like I said, put their hands in their pockets early. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, it, it's a it was a leap of faith for for ride. You know, for riders like myself, hadn't sat on it like you said, hadn't ridden it. You know, you've got the MT07 motor, so you could go out and ride a Tracer or an MT07, but that was the closest you could get. And actually, the character of those bikes, I think, is very different to the, De- to the Tenere. I've ridden all all three bikes, and the Tenere has a very very distinct character, which we'll, again we'll probably come on to a little bit later. Um, but yeah, so that so launch bike. Uh, orders March, launch price, uh, now gone up 600 quid. And then when did you get your bike? Uh, July, because it was just before... No, it wasn't. It Was was it July or was it August? 
because it was just right before my because I got I married end of end of August, and then went on honeymoon. So I had it for literally like a few weeks, um, and then it went to Lex Tech, and then I went on honeymoon, and it sat in sat in here in the showroom for a month. That's right. Yeah, you. That was true. I forgot that James very very kindly um, allowed us to keep his brand new Tenere in our showroom um, on a stand, so that customers could come and at least see one. Um, because, like we said, they were pre-order only, so you couldn't have one in the showroom in theory. And we were one of the few dealers in the country to have one for best part of a, a month, I guess. Yeah, it was mad. It, my bike was just passed like from company to company. It was here where we were on honeymoon. It went up to the NEC for LexTech, and they had London it for like two well. weeks. Did um, it go to London? No, it didn't go to London. It was going to go to London uh, okay. with a system on it, but it didn't. It didn't end up happening. But right, but yeah, it's been passed pillar to post. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised I've got any miles on the thing. Yeah, absolutely. So, moving on from that then, I guess what I wanted to talk to you about was, because you've bought the bike, um, you must have considered other adventure bikes, you can't have only considered the Yamaha, Uh, where does the T7 fit in the marketplace within other adventure bikes to you? So like I said, I've had two Tigers, and, and that's, you know, I thought that was where I wanted to be, that, you know, the Tiger, you've, what if you got your categories, you've got your big your big 1200s um which yeah, is like your, your super adventure bikes yeah so your gs your super tenere your, twi- your explorer which is just the 1200 tiger these days then you've got your mid-range adventure bikes which is like your tiger 800 your 790k tm uh the gs 850 and 750 but all of those are quite tech heavy aren't they i mean you said tiger 900 now isn't it as well yeah uh, and that's even more tech laden than the 800 was yeah and i mean my the 800 that i had that i was trail riding on had heated seats heated grips cruise control three different rider modes it was a lot of there was a lot of gadgetry on it and then if you're not going for those you're dropping right down to the like a himalayan or yeah maybe an ajp pr7 yeah which is an interesting bike i think we'll we'll definitely come on to that in another another podcast or later today Uh, it's really interesting one but and even bikes like the what i used to have the crf 250 rally um, a very very simple lightweight adventure bike but all three of those i think it's fair to say you wouldn't necessarily want to do any big mileage on certainly on the road no and that's that's my that's my goal you know i don't have the uh, you know the whole reason why 9 to 5 adv exists is because i don't have the money to have a garage full of bikes to do a diff you know i I can't have a 250 that i can go out laning on i don't i kind of you know i don't have a big sports tour that i can then go on long trips on and then a commuter and then a street bike and you know i've got um, my aim is to find the ultimate do-all bike that is obviously geared more towards travel thought you were gonna say i'm just it's got compromise i was like there you go there's a tagline for the tenere the ultimate <laughs> compromise <laughs> you should be in the yamaha marketing department but that's that's the that's the problem with the adventure bikes these days because you know it's the whole jack of all trades is is the master of none and it's finding it's getting each bike gets closer and closer and closer to that and uh you know i thought i had a happy medium with the tiger and it's funny you I, we had this i had this next to a friend's africa twin and size-wise, they do not look much different when you put them next to each other. But the difference... When you pick them up off the dirt. Yeah. 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 And I mean, it it is... For me, it's not the big bikes smaller. It's the small bikes bigger. Because sure. it's so simple. Yeah, yeah. No, I get what you mean. It's, it's like your 450 and your 250 WRs or whatever, but then built up to, to travel. Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense, I think. So I guess it's probably fair to say then that 
the Tenere 700 is one of, I think, very few adventure bikes built by ma- mainstream manufacturers. You're always going to find some weird stuff out there or stuff that people have homemade, but built with real off-road ability straight out the box or more or less straight out the box. Yeah, this is what this is this is what excited me about the bike, and this is what led me to to decide to swap the Tiger for it is because, like you said, they actually designed a road bike or an adventure bike that's had more design time spent on the off-road than the on-road, or um, as much. As much. Well, having as said much. that, well, I think that's fair because they know that they can make a great road bike, and what they wanted to prove and develop is the off-road side of things. Mm. Um, between recording this last week and this week, I realised I hadn't actually spent much time on a Tenere at all, other than a quick trip into town which we mentioned um on uh the the demonstrator that we've got next to us here if you're watching this on youtube you can see the exact bike i've been riding um and other than that yours may be a tiny tiny bit on green lanes so i took the demonstrator out on a big road loop a couple hundred miles um on my days off up to the north coast and i was blown away by its on the road performance it didn't matter that it had 21 inch wheels the tires i thought were fantastic um yeah i just thought it was a really really complete bike i really enjoy it it's really fun, you know, because I've been commuting back to work on it, and my commute is only two miles, and then through town, and it is so much fun just ripping around on it. You know, I've got a little bit of, I've got about a mile of draw carriageway, and then a mile of, of then twisty turny stuff, and it is so much fun. I think there's something I don't know what it is about when you've got an, an adventure bike, especially. There's something about hustling a one around a tight twisty road it kind of feels like it shouldn't be able to do it but the way that the bike dives under braking and squats under acceleration okay from a to b it's nowhere near as fast as a a proper road street bike would be a tracer would probably be a lot quicker on the road but i reckon i would have more fun on the scenery i agree and it's the versatility you know i the tracers like you said the tracer 700 is arguably obviously a better road bike but it's not as if they took the tracer and stuck a 21 inch front and spoke wheels on it and i suppose that's what we're just what we're going to jump onto now is 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 just explaining how much this bike is built fresh from the ground up bearing in mind that the engine's been in the mt07 the xsr 700 the tracer 700 well all three of those bikes share very very similar componentry yeah, you know, I think an XSR and an MT07 and and the Tracer, very similar frames, very similar suspension setups, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Different body panels, maybe different forks and things and stuff, but fundamentally, all based on a road platform. Definitely. So it's great that they didn't just take that and just bolt on some ad- adventurey parts. Yeah, which I think a lot of other manufacturers would have done. I mean, they certainly would have saved themselves a whole heap of money had they have just put some 21 inch wheels on a tracer 7 100 percent, and that is the reason why this i i feel that this bike was arguably the most popular bike most talked about bike last year yeah, definitely i mean the whole whole bespoke frame for the bike um weight massively centralized around the the engine on it so for off-road use massively beneficial um because you've got a light front end a light rear end the gearing was shortened um, to allow that light front end to power wheelie in first and second gear, so they didn't want riders to have to clutch the bike up. They wanted you to be able to get it get it up just on the power, which is a lot of fun. 
is a huge amount of fun and it's useful if you're out on the trail in all seriousness if you come across a log rocks bumps in the trail it's really useful to, to just pop that front end up mm. even simple things like little dips or little potholes it's so easy just to to pop the throttle and and just lighten the front wheel you don't even have to get the front wheel off the floor it's just lightening the front wheel that's and it, it cruises exactly. over it'll just cruise over the holes and that's um, really aided by, you know, the, the riding position as well, which gives you the confidence to do that. Yeah. So, you know, from the, from the ground up, the bike was designed around, fundamentally, around a standing riding position being just as important as the seated one. Which I, uh, as a user, would definitely agree that that's been, that's been achieved. I mean, it's so, it's so narrow. It's, it's, it's great. The ergonomics are really fine. The foot pegs. They've got the rubber bits in that most people, obviously, when they buy these bikes, they take their rubber pegs out. But you don't have to with this. The rubber pegs compress when you stand up. So you've got the rubber pegs to absorb your vibrations when you're, when you're on the road. Stand up and, you've got, and it compresses down so your boots are on, on the metal. Really got the, the seat is, is flat. Regardless of whether you go for low standard or rally seat, all three seats are, are completely flat in their design. So there's no step to get caught on. Um, which allows you to move back on the bike really far if you're going down steep descents. Um, and again, the bike's nice and narrow at the rear as well, so you're not catching your legs on things. Yeah, the visibility at the front as well. There's a lot, all the clear plastics, which are a pain in the neck to clean, but you know, it, it's got, you've got a nice clear front when yeah, you're up looking down, or well, not looking down, but looking ahead of you. Well, some, yeah, but sometimes you do need to look at the front wheel occasionally, yeah. just if you're, do, if you're doing some really slow speed stuff. And again, that front screen for an adventure bike is, is quite narrow. A lot of adventure bikes have these huge sails on the front, mm. all in the name of wind protection at high speed. Half the time, I think they don't work anywhere. I think they cause more turbulence than... Oh, the, the Tiger was notoriously bad for, you know, people my height. Yeah, Tracer, Tracer 900 from Yamaha themselves, that, that's been criticised, you know, in virtually every review it's ever had. Um, and I actually thought, I think this little screen on this works surprisingly well. It does the job well. It does not, you know, it's not perfect, but for what, for the, for the real estate space that it's there... It is surprisingly good. And you've got the crossbar at the top, which is nice. Nice little touch. Yeah. Uh, so you use that to mount your yeah, phone on, but so I guess I've, you could mount a roadbook or... Yeah, so I've got an ultimate add-ons mount, and that mounts the phone straight on, so I use that for everything. But yeah, I've seen people with the Garmin GPSs, uh, roadbooks, whatever. Makes a difference. Yeah, absolutely. And then the, the bike's got pretty long travel suspension um, for for an adventure bike. Again, it's you know, off-road orientated. And that leads to a pretty impressive 240 millimeter ground clearance, um, which includes a proper aluminium skid plate as standard. I know you've upgraded yours, haven't you? Yeah, I wouldn't. I if I was going to be trail riding, well, like I did, I wouldn't. I wouldn't spend too much time with that. Other than anything, anything more aggressive than than light trail riding. But it's better than a lot of skid plates you get as as stock. A lot of them on are plastic bikes. on adventure bikes. Exactly. And this at least it's, it covers the oil filter covers the main parts of the bike um and yeah you're right if you hit something really really big and gnarly it might it's probably not going to offer the most protection but as a standard out out the box piece of equipment that's the thing this this is built to a budget all but all bikes are built to budgets and the money's been spent where it matters where it matters you know you've got things like the, the foot pegs are all folding um the brake and gear levers are made of steel rather than aluminium. Now, you could say, well, that's a bit cheap of them. But actually, the advantage of steel is it bends rather than snapping. Yeah, and I've bent both and bent them back. And bent them back. Yeah. And they're still working. If yeah. we'd had aluminium uh, gear levers, you'd be stuffed. Yeah. So uh, it's little things like that that, that help. The front mudguard's quite a clever one. 
because a lot of people have said to me, oh, it should have a beak on it. You know, it's an adventure bike. It should have a big beak. But Yamaha have said, well, actually, if you have a massive beak on a bike at higher speeds, so at motorway cruising, then it affects the stability of the bike. So what they've done is they've kept the low fender, but they've made it adjustable. The issue you can have with a low fender, of course, is if you've got a lot of mud, it can get clogged up. But this one, you can raise it around about a centimetre just to add enough clearance between the tyre and the uh, and the mudguard to stop uh, stop that happening. Mm. And I think the fact that it's such a basic machine electronically as well. Is you've got no traction control. No traction control. You've got switchable ABS. And it's fully switchable ABS. Fully switchable ABS, yeah, 100% which is great you just obviously that you can't have you can't turn the bike off and on um which is a regulation thing you know the abs re-engages and people complain about it but it's, it's regulation but you get around that by using the kill switch right rather than the no the kill switch disengages it too does it yeah so i just stole the bike which is i'll i'll, I'll say that that's the reason that's i stole the, the bike you're always stalling. <laughs> no but the, the thing about it being a fully switchable system is good because on my old little honda crf it was rear only yeah. I believe that's the same on the Africa Twin. And it's a real pain in the backside because you you need... Sometimes you do need to be able to lock both wheels. Yeah. Um, but no, that's super simple. It's literally... It's 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 like the only button up the front um, to switch that. And then the, the clocks are nice and simple, really easy to read. So talking about the talking about the brakes as well, Brembo, twin discs up front. So twin discs probably doesn't need twin discs a bike bike of this size and weight. But they've done that to reduce uh, wheel twist under braking. And the calipers, apparently, they're all set up so that whilst they have loads of power, their initial bite isn't too aggressive. So off-road, you've got really, really nice progression on that initial part of the lever and then plenty of power when you really haul on it later. Yeah, and it's definitely, it's definitely got that aggression when you, when you need it, when you just squeeze, the, squeeze that front brake in, which is really good. Uh, I mean, my favourite thing here is the fact that when you're out traveling to like Tenere, the Tenere desert and doing Dakar stuff it will take a low take low grade fuels which a lot of modern modern adventure bikes yeah absolutely that was something so good yeah, at. Yamaha said they wanted to make sure from the get-go was you didn't have to stick to like full 95 run real high quality ultra and leaded because they know where this bike's going you're not going to find that yeah um, and like and then internally as well you've got the the air filters rear facing um which, or to stop with like dust intrusion and stuff yeah we and i know in the uk it's a paper filter which is a bit annoying but like out in australia they've done it with it's come as standard with a foam filter which i'll be swapping out pretty soon as oh, well okay i didn't realize that so you can you can swap out to that can you yeah yeah a, a, like really a easily washable one yeah oh, yeah so that you can actually buy the one that they use for the for the australian bikes um and then obviously the exhaust as well which um i've gone through many a river and never had a problem with because it's nice and high yeah i mean i think if you've got the uh, the exhaust underwater you i mean you're way above the depth of both wheels then and it's it's getting pretty hairy so <laughs> yeah so the bike shares an engine right with the mt07 xsr and tracer 700 like we said and we said the, the frame and the chassis is all new um what are some of the changes that you're aware of then to the to the engine and to the chassis specific for the for the Tenere. Um yeah so with the with the frame then you've got removable down tubes which uh, makes it a lot easier to get to the engine and you've got a strengthened headstock as well uh shocks mounted to the frame rather than to the engine um, is that just to allow it to why is that for more more strength to yeah it can handle more extreme loads okay so if you're a big drops and stuff with panniers and everything on it then 
exactly less likely to rip the back half of your engine off yeah your own the the frame doesn't you're not going to be damaging your engine but the engine i mean the engine itself i've loved it since i first tried it in an mta7 um it's so responsive it's got great low down torque and i guess that makes it perfect for use in an off t- off road bike really um and on top of that 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 engine so yamaha call it the cp2 you've got the cp3 which is a triple cp2 being a twin cylinder um it's but still number one for reliability in the Motorrad magazine's 50,000 kilometer durability test. For comparison's sake, um, the first KTM on that list comes in at number 24. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I mean, we know we've seen Yamaha's reliability on, you know, bikes like the Tenere 1200. Nick Saunders took it around the world. I think they had it dismantled at the, uh, the NEC and it was pristine. And the same is true of this. And, you know, from a, at the point of view of working at a dealership, we see so few issues with that CP2 engine. It's a fantastic motor for the job. It's definitely the motor you want to go around the world or do anything with. That's it, and they've tuned it specifically for the T7. Nothing drastic, um, but they've changed the the throttle mapping to give you a little bit more um, low-down response. The gear ratios have been changed, so it's got a smaller front sprocket and a bigger rear sprocket than than a... MT07 or a Tracer has. That's offset slightly by the fact that you've got um, a bigger rear wheel than either of those bikes. So whilst the, the sort of sprocket gearing has changed, the wheel gearing is, has changed as well. But overall, it's much shorter than, uh, than either of those bikes, which gives it that really lively low-down response. Uh, you've got uh, clutch protection built onto the engine casing um, from the offset, uh, a much better higher-up radiator design. Um, and all of this is designed to optimise the bike's performance in kind of challenging conditions. So uh, without running the risk of having this go on too long, I want to have a look at just two competitor bikes. I'd say the biggest competitor bikes, um, and especially the ones that most people talk about when they're, when they're comparing this to other bikes, which is the, the KTM 790 and the AJP PR7. Now, looking at the AJP first of all, the AJP is a really interesting bike. I've seen one in the flesh i haven't ridden one um but if you were buying a bike for off-road use main you know a vast majority of what you're doing is off-road use the ajp on on paper and and to look at looks like a much a much better bike for the job um it's lighter it's plainer simpler it's got uh, some really interesting use of technology yeah well. the, it's really simple up front except for the like you said, yeah, the tablet. It's got a tablet built into it, which mm. are, which is a great idea. Yeah, but um, I mean, if it was considerably less than the Tenere, it, I think it'd be a really good competitor. I think the fact that it's pretty much the same price as the Tenere, I mean, for the same amount, if you're spending your money, you're, go- you're getting a less powerful bike. You're getting a bike that you're not too keen about with reliability compared to arguably the most reliable engine it's sort of in untra- the world. It's untested, isn't it, at least, with, yeah. with the AJP? And, and you're always worry about part supply if something does go wrong, warranty support, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, yeah, with a with a more much more niche brand. Yeah, and with a with a with a smaller smaller engine and lighter and the lighter bike, the performance on road is not going to be as good. So you buy a KTM, so right? Long... <laughs> There's so the case. Everyone keeps comparing the KTM, and, and that's that's the only reason bringing it bringing it into to this comparison. I don't think that they are a fair comparison. There's a huge difference in price. What are you talking? 
between the between the um well, and it's got to be the R version that we compare it with, right? Because yeah, actually, the, yeah, I was just the, the seven ninety standard. They, there's two the two guises of it, but the seven ninety really is a road bike. So fine, if you want to buy one of those, great. But really, if you're going to use the Tenere for the purpose that we're talking about it, i.e., off road proper adventuring, you're going to buy the R. Yeah, definitely. And and then the price difference there, you're looking at over three grand, well over three grand. That's not insignificant, is it? And that's before any options on the KTM, presumably as well. You haven't well, added. Exactly. This, this is if you were to buy parts. the if you were to buy the bikes straight out of the showroom stock. You know, you you're you're already over three grand out of pocket for the KTM, and of course you've got a better bike with your three with your with your three odd grand. But I suppose the question would be, if you were to spend that money on the T7 so that they ended up being the same price what's the better bike well and it depends how you measure better if you measure better purely by power and technology then yes mm-hmm. however if you measure it by simplicity um reputation of the brand in terms of reliability and dependability i would argue that the ktm isn't better than the mr at all yeah you've and, got quite a complicated machine there and i think i suppose as well if KTM to me is a little bit like BMW. If you're if you're in the family, you're in the family. If you're a KTM rider, you're a KTM rider. You're not, you know. Yeah, so it, and they and they make a they make a different type of bike. I mean, what's their motto is ready to race, isn't it? Yeah. And I mean, there's a reason why they keep winning. Well, except for this year, the the Dakar. Well, yeah. And that, but I think that does it. I think it translates down into their road bikes. They're a lot more aggressive, a lot edgier. I think if you're a a really really accomplished off road rider, really confident. I can see that the KTM might be more exciting for you than the, the Tenere. Mm. I think what the Tenere offers is a much more accessible entry into, yes. into off-road adventure bike riding. I'd completely... Despite completely the lack of electronics, ironically. Yeah. No, I, to- I totally agree with that. And, you know, what watching and listening to reviews from a lot of people, the, the, the general ride on and off-road doesn't seem to be hugely different until, like you said, you, are, you get into that realm of very experienced... Yeah, and then I think I've seen I've seen reviews of very talented riders making the KTM do absolutely astonishing things, and I have no doubt that it, it's a fantastic bike. But I think for most of us, those things are probably a little out of reach. But yeah, so that that I mean, that, uh, for me, those are the two main the two main comparisons. I mean, uh, have you got a, an, another one, or shall we move on? Well, I suppose the you the six ninety is an interesting one. The six ninety enduro. Because if you spent enough money on it, you could turn it into a very, very good adventure bike. But you're looking at a lot of cash. I think if you bought a 690R, put a full rally kit on it, um, did it up to the hilt, you'd have quite an interesting bike there. But I think, you you know, money-wise, again, it's going to be astronomical. That's an interesting point. But, yeah, not something I I'm know enough to delve into, really. Well, this is it, exactly. Modifying, it's not really fair, is it, to compare modified bikes with bikes out the box because, in theory, you can turn anything into whatever you want if you've got, the, if you've got pockets yeah. deep enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's loads of bikes out there. Um, other bikes you might want to look into, I guess, is Tiger 900, F800, uh, F850 GS now, Africa Twin. The list goes on. And we could, we could do a whole podcast on that. But I think if you were, gonna, if you were much more road-focused than the Tiger 800 that I had before, picking up one of those would be a good bike yeah, because they're much more comfort orientated especially with the electronics whereas this is much more 50 50 more rounded yeah one thing i did want to mention on the t7 which um i think it's escaped virtually everybody's radar is that it's available in a 35 kilowatt version 
um, which does mean it's A2 compliant. Now, if you're listening to this from outside of the UK, this is going to mean nothing to you, but we have a really convoluted licensing system here in the UK, which basically means that young riders have to have restricted licenses. So the Tenere can be restricted down to 47 horsepower, which makes it a perfect choice um, for younging, uh, younger budding adventurers. Um, so we can cut this down to 47 horsepower. That can then be reversed down the line when you pass your full test. Um, so for anybody that's under 24 or riding on an A2 license, well worth a look. Uh, we've got a question about that later on from our um, follower questions. So we'll, we'll jump back over to that in a bit. Um, so accessory-wise, I wasn't really... I mean, when the bike came out, there was a very short list of accessories and then they sort of drip-fed them more and more as they... as as you know, they got closer to the release and after the release. But um, in terms of OEM accessories, I did a, I did a post on this on on nine to five adv dot com, which talks about the OEM accessories compared to now that there has been six months. The aftermarket options, you know, do I think it's worth getting the OEM? Do I think it's worth getting uh, something else? And a lot of the things that they bought out are I'm you know I'm, I'm really happy with the 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 higher ends bash plate is really good it's a good weight it's not too heavy the crash bars uh the crash bars are okay they do the job really well they're a bit heavier than others but they're absolutely solid they're not like a lot of aftermarket oem stuff that is well a lot of brands will call them accessory bars yeah specifically to get around the fact that if you call it a crash bar and if the bike falls over, people expect it to do its job. Whereas if you call it an accessory bar for mounting fog lights to, yeah. then, hey, we never told you it was going to save the bike. Um, <laughs> well, these are solid. I've I've got battle scars on both sides. and Yeah, they've done not, their job. They have not bent at all. And one of the big advantages that you, you can't deny with genuine stuff is that it has 100% been designed to fit the bike perfectly. Um, it it can you can probably do it yourself if not a main dealer can definitely fit it for you and there's going to be absolutely zero impact on your warranty anything like that so there's a definitely a place for yeah for genuine oh, parts definitely you know and they've obviously had a lot more development time compared to the third party that you know get the bike and then they're like crap we need to get these parts out so we'll, they'll rush them out in six months but i guess the more time we've got the better all that aftermarket stuff is becoming and i, I yeah. imagine i mean you probably follow this far more closely than i do um i imagine that as the months roll on, more and more part companies are coming to the party and bringing out uh, new and better stuff. Yeah, the stuff they've got is brilliant. Like Adventure Spec, for for example, they've they a month or two ago bought out all their Tenere 700 accessories and hard parts, and they're really good. Um, you know, I wouldn't recommend everything. You know, a lot. You know, obviously OEM stuff is is usually more expensive than a third party option. I mean, <laughs> if you want to buy the a Kropovich is that how you pronounce it? Uh, yeah, that'll do. That'll do. If you want to, if you want to spend nine hundred quid on that, then I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> but it's there's certain things that I just I just don't think are worth the money. <laughs> so what? Um, remind people what have you done to yours? Then what are the, in your opinion, are the absolute musts if you want to take this bike off road from day one? Because I think we're we're both in agreement that whilst it's pretty much there. It's not completely off-road ready out yep. of the crate. So what would you do? What did you do? Well, you you can take this off-road day one. 
and and you did and i did and as long as you don't do anything too gnarly or you bin it it'll be fine um but it does need a few a few tweaks and the main the main ones are protection um the tires if you're picking up in the summer and it's dry are actually pretty good the scorpion pirelli str rally sorry rally str they're pretty good tires and they're great on the road and they're for, for an the, adventure tire they're fantastic oh my goodness i took i took the, this demo out with the standard tires on compared to my moto z knobbly tires and that's like a totally different bike it's a dream <laughs> to be back on those tires on the road um so yeah tires are a pretty good day one don't change them unless it's going to get unless it's starting to get a bit wet and, wet and muddy in which case they are useless and get something else but yeah so i would upgrade and i so day one i upgraded the bash plate and i upgraded the engine and i put engine bars on from yamaha they were day one so i um they were the only ones out so that's that's what i went for uh the other thing the only other thing i recommend protection wise which is huge I, for me other people may think differently but um putting some decent handguards and by that i mean like like i said a bark busters yeah because it looks like it's got handguards on it, right? I mean, to to most people, they go, "Why are you changing them? It's got proper handguards." Right? Yeah, but they're typical. They're typical OEM handguards. They're just plastic. Yeah. And the thing is, when you drop the bike, you have certain points of contact with the floor, and the stronger the points of contact that hit the floor first, the more protected the the rest of the bike's going to be. So your crash bars and your bark busters are going to be your two main points of contact when the bike goes down. Other handguards do exist. Oh, James hang- just wishes he was sponsored by Bartbusters. Yeah, if, if they're listening, which I'm sure they are. <laughs> but no, they keep they keep putting my my post in their story. Yeah, but but that's probably about it, really, isn't it? In terms of what you've got to do to get it going, there's loads of other bits and bobs, rag guards, headlight protectors, and stuff. But I think you're right. Oh yeah, you could go mad. You could go mad. I mean, the radiator guards one that I I keep meaning to get but uh, the plastic one that comes on there is so much better than anything else that any other adventure bike's got as stock well still the, the fit it's got days. angled fins you know yeah. so it, it's pretty difficult for a stone to actually flick up in there so no I, I agree i think it's a i think it's pretty decent and what about for traveling um the bike isn't exactly it's not got loads of tie down points it hasn't got a rack built onto it it hasn't got fancy pannier mounts built into it so what 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 do you do for what what do you plan on doing for for luggage options so for luggage i've got the krieger os base which is basically just like a a flap of fabric it's 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 almost like a set of saddlebags um and they're designed more for your sort of dirt and trial bikes as as luggage components for for you know that you don't for bikes that don't have tie down or a rack or something um so it's really versatile i bought that it goes right over the back seat and then i can just krieger's really great it's modular so i just load on as many bags or as big or as small of bags as i need if you're not going to be um riding off road then if you want to get hard luggage get hard luggage there's i wouldn't there's no way that i would spend all that money and put all that weight on the bike if you're going to be riding off road sure and also i think hard luggage it's worth bearing in mind that if and when you do fall off it's something else to get yourself caught under it doesn't absorb any of the shock of the impact so you're more likely to damage the bike itself so soft luggage has a massive advantage there but yeah you're right if you just if it's road touring hard luggage can, mm. be, can be pretty great yeah and then just the other bits that i've 
personally put on my bike so far. So like I said, I changed the tires up because I was riding in going into autumn, so getting very wet and very muddy. I went for the Moto Z, which is an Australian brand, Tractionator Rail Z, which is pretty much the knobliest set that you can get for a big adventure bike on those the size wheels. Really, really good off road. Like I said, they're a bit of vibey on the road. Um I'm used to them, but being back on the Pirellis was a lot nicer. If you're gonna be riding more on road, then there are other ones. The Moto Z do the adventure tire, which has got a center tr- more of a constant center tread, so it's smoother in straight lines. The um I had a Mitas EO seven set on my Tiger, which was again smoother on the road. Yeah, and the, the list of tire options is endless. I mean, if you dare to ask on a adventure forum which <laughs> tires should I get for my adventure bike, crikey, prepare to be sat there for a while reading. Um, we could we could talk for hours on those. Um, yeah. So what else have I got? I've the LexTech exhaust at the moment. It's just a link pipe and N can. But, but if, oh, it makes such a difference to the sound. Oh, though. it sounds amazing. That standard bike I rode the other day, and it, I loved it. But the over fifty miles an hour, you cannot hear the exhaust at all. No. And this sounds this sounds gorgeous, and it's got a nice little pop to it when you take off the throttle, and it it, it chucks off a bunch of weight. I'm still waiting on the still developing the the um link the pipe. headers no the link pipes oh, okay. on the headers so that it can be decatted, and that all together you save like almost eight kilograms. It's a lot of like James said, he really cares about the environment. <laughs> well, I do. That's oh, why it's you're decatting de- your bike. Got an electric car. It's fine, guys. Uh, it's fine. What else have I done? I'm just having a look at it now. Uh, Adventure Spec Tail Tidy. Oh, yeah, that looks a lot neater. Yeah, saved about a kilo of weight as well. Have you done LED lights yet? No, they're they're going to be... I want to get the Click and Ride, which is like a, an LED indicator set, but the the bulbs are like... He- the, the, they've got headphone jacks, basically, like the big headphone jacks. So if you come off and you smash one, you literally pull that out and plug it, it and plug another. Whether they're any good or not, I don't know. It's about a hundred quid for the set of four, so I'm gonna I'm gonna mm, pick it up. It's about the same point. as the Yamaha OEM ones. Mm. They're about fifty quid a set, so for for two. So yeah, that sounds about right. And then what else? Uh nothing. Uh tank bag holder for the Krieger bag, so I can chuck on like a five liter or a ten liter if I'm you know, need a bit more luggage but I don't want to strap the, the base on. You've not done fog lights or anything like that? No. No, I'm keeping it, trying to keep it simple and keep it light. Oh, you did bar risers, didn't you? Oh, yeah, bar risers. Tall. Yeah, because I'm tall. Um, but you, most most people probably do. I think anyone under six foot won't need them. I think if you're over over six foot, it's um, mm. it's probably something worth considering. But talking about accessories, I think that kind of leads us on nicely to the news uh, on Wednesday this week, which was that Yamaha brought out an all-new Tenere 700 Rally Edition. Are you regretting your purchase james and are you going to be coming through the front door signing on the dotted line for a a new bike uh no in a nutshell um don't let that fool you though i definitely think it's a it's a really nice looking bike um i saw that i saw on yamaha's story and then i texted you and i said what what is this and then um and then got the yamaha press press release i went on the website got the press release logged on get the press release and it's a really nice looking bike it's it's a paint job as opposed to just decals like the the standard bikes have got and it's it harkens back to that that um xt500 yeah the original dakar bike and all their kind of marketing and stuff shows the two bikes next to each other but yeah you're right it's, it's a paint job and effectively an accessory pack isn't it yeah which is exactly what you'd expect from a bike that is six months old 
Um, and the good thing is that they've... I wrote an article um, last year when they first announced the accessory packs, basically just talking about them and saying, should you buy them or shouldn't you? And I really took umbrage with the rally pack because they they talk, they had this pack, rally pack, okay, surely that must mean, okay, I want to take my bike off-road. From day one, This is yeah. the pack I want to have on my bike. But it was... It was, it was all components. It, it was it? weird. It was all style, no substance. So it, you had the exhaust, you had like LED indicators, you had a tail tidy, but then you had like hardly any. You had no crash protection. Yeah, it didn't or have the engine. Yeah, some guard. It or was yeah, a yeah. really odd combination of parts, and I didn't understand the reason behind it. And what this this rally edition has seems to have done is it's for the most part. For the least. most part, is basically the the rally accessory pack, but swapped out some things for for better things so for example you've got this you've got the that heavy duty skin plate you've got the radio the aluminium radio protector the chain guard you've got the chain guard you haven't got the engine bars but obviously but that's because it's got a sexy paint job and they don't want to cover it up yeah exactly <laughs> and uh, you know and things like they've put better even just ha- better handlebar grips yeah they're um, really cool yeah. yeah it's just better for off-road um but but you know more tactile and things mm. they've got the rally seat as standard yeah and it's a different it's a different livery on the rally seat it looks really oh it's got some like yeah, sti- it's nice. stitching in it it's really nice am, am i gonna have to try and <laughs> get get you one from yamaha yeah 100 percent. i would have but, to um, put a, a warranty claim for a faulty <laughs> one or something but it has still got the exhaust which i know you said you're not a huge fan of but i guess being a, a special edition it's always going to have the the gucci kind of exhaust and the bike looks great with the acra can on it yeah and i suppose from an from an off-road point of view you are saving a few kilos so you know you've got you've got the argument there and price-wise for the bike i don't think it's too bad to be honest i think they're saying 10299 plus whatever your local on the road charges are but 10299 including all the accessories fitted to the bike from factory um i went on earlier and i quickly added up what the rough value of all those accessories would come to it's about 1800 quid Bearing in mind you're only paying a £1,300 premium for the bike, you're effectively saving 500 quid and getting that awesome paint job for free. Yeah, and that doesn't include, that. you know, comparing if you were to just buy the standard bike and all those accessories, that doesn't include whatever your dealership might charge you to fit those accessories. So if you, if you haven't got the bike and you're thinking of buying the bike and you're thinking of buying some or all of those accessories, it's a no-brainer. It's a good buy. It's not a buy for someone who has the bike because it's not an upgrade. It's a, I see this as, it's an anniversary edition. It's a celebration of, of the, of the Tenere bike and the livery and, and, and that's how I'm seeing it. Um, it was quite funny. I, so I wrote a quick article and put it up and, and then shared it to a couple of Tenere 700, um, forum pages and, People will get, you know, some people really liked it. So mad. <laughs> some some people, people were getting so mad. so mad. You know, oh, what is this? It's not, you know, what is, what's Yamaha doing? It's meant to be a rally edition, but it's just accessories. Why hasn't it got a bigger fuel tank? Why haven't they gone for um, tubeless tires? Why why haven't they gone um, with better suspension, this, that? And I'm thinking, hold on a second. This bike has been out six months. And one of its core selling points has always been around the value and price. Yeah. If you did all put an extra five liters on the fuel tank, upgrade the suspension, bigger brakes, blah 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 blah. What do we? Oh, suddenly it's four grand more expensive, and it's lost its USP. Well, yeah, exactly, and it's just ridiculous. It's just I I I, I found it funny. I didn't I didn't get involved, but 
Well, no, it's always never a good idea to get involved <laughs> with an online comment war. And there's always going to be there's people that you know you're never going to um, mm. you're never going to make happy. I mean, a bike that's still selling like hotcakes. It's not as if it's it's come out and then it's died down and there's no interest anymore. It's still at the it's still at the height of its. You know, it's only just launched in America. It's not. There's no reason to upgrade the bike. This is just. This no, is, and I think it's absolutely it's great news for anybody that's been looking at a Tenere. Um, because up until now we've thought that we've we're done. We're not getting any more for the UK supply issues, etc. Is what we've been told. But it looks like the reason for all of this is just that they're bringing out this edition. And I think if you're looking at buying a new T7, well, I mean, it looks like it's got gold wheels. Oh yeah, yeah, really cool gold wheels. And um, you know, I'm sure that they they will make. A, I mean, Yamaha's upgraded versions of bikes they call them the SPs, don't they? So like the MT09, MT10 SP. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. You're right. Down the line, if they brought out. A T7 SP, and that would be awesome if they did that in a year's time or something. Mm. Um, because you know the whole, you know, you look at the MT MT range. The MT range is is a is a is a cracking range of bikes that are not super expensive. Well, again, that was it exactly. It was so always chuck- about affordability with the yeah. MTs when they first launched. So the SP was let's chuck some money at it and make a premium version of this model. So yeah, I can completely see them doing like an SP, a proper, you know, upgrading the suspension, upgrading the fuel tank. I mean, what would you want to if if you were to design one, if I, well, it's a funny one because all the things I would want to see on an SP are all the things that I say I don't want on it. <laughs> so it's sort of a it's a bit of a weird one because I suppose yeah I want to see um, higher grade maybe Olin's suspension on it certainly at the rear end. I think if you're gonna gonna do a really Gucci version, it's got to have a proper TFT screen. Um, and then you're going to want to go with that. You're going to want riding modes, bi-directional quick shifter, all of that. And I, my worry with all of that is that I think actually you're going to take away from the essence. The bike of the will bike. get lost. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then all, for all those reasons we said earlier, why we prefer the Tenere to the KTM, will suddenly, yeah, we've lost all of those. And it's going to cost like that's a good it, point. They do all of that. It's going to cost two, three grand more expensive. And I and I completely enjoy. This this bike, more than so many other bikes these days, is such a blank canvas. And it is so, it's been so fun over the past six months watching every different person make completely Do different bikes. Slightly different with it, yeah. Yeah, and that I think is, is to its merit compared to other bikes. Yeah, it's very rare that you see like a heavily modified BMW 8 F850 or Triumph Tiger 900. Yeah, and that's not to say that they're perfect bikes out of the box, and this isn't. But it's just that this is a blank canvas and is is ready to be to make what you want from it. So I've got some some questions here. I chucked out on our Instagram story yesterday. If anyone had any questions that they wanted us to cover, which is good because it's pretty much all the the last few little bits that I wanted to clear up to to you know shore up on about the bike before we finish off. Um, question number one which was, um, how good would this be as a first adventure bike? Um, I've got another question about it being a beginner bike, but I feel that's a separate question. So how good would this be as a first ADV bike? And I'd, I'll just say before you give us your opinion, Ross, it's a difficult question because I bought n- new bikes and took them off-road. So I'm not sure whether that makes me a good base for recommendation. You know, obviously it's... It's easier to spend less money because if you break it or you don't like it, it's not a it's not a huge loss. But I suppose as well, ADV an adventure bike it can mean different things as a road as a first road adventure bike with maybe a bit of gravel, a bit of off road chucked in, or something that you might be thinking of doing. Hundred percent, this is 
probably one of the best bikes you can buy like like we've said it's it's a good really good price you get a lot of bike for your money and it's a blank canvas so whichever direction you decide to go whether you're just going to be road riding and you want to chuck it on with luggage whether you want to head towards the more off-road way as you as you develop your style it's completely capable to do that i mean what do you what do you think yeah i mean i'm going to come at it from the angle that like i'm i'm going to assume you want to buy a new bike because i think i get completely what you're saying if Mm -hmm. you're going to go and use it and ride around the world or you know trash it off-road i get it's a lot of money for someone that is relatively inexperienced to do but if we're purely looking at i'm going to buy a brand new motorcycle should i buy a tenere 700 as my first adventure one then i think categorically yes it's um it's not intimidating it's not too heavy it's not too complicated for all the reasons we've discussed earlier it's a really really easy bike to ride um and yeah i think you you can have a lot of fun and it will do pretty much anything for you brilliant cool so that leads us on to the next question um which like we said is very similar but how good is it as a beginner bike yeah so Um, you were saying earlier about it being restricted down yeah it could be a2 compliant so yeah so if you're not quite on your full full license the only issue i'd say i could envisage is seat height um i think for those of us that swap between bikes a lot you know you get used to jumping on quite tall bikes and being up on your tiptoes and you sort of forget that for a new rider carrying 200 kilos on your toes is quite intimidating Mm, i I remember when i bought the tiger and so i was on a phase of 600 and then bought the tiger and that was that was tall and i'm six foot three and i dropped it a lot of times it it takes a bit of learning to catch to learn when that weight's gonna go yeah, and when, to let, and when to let it go as well. Mm. I mean, that was just on the road. I've, you know, I would, I would drop to just turn. You know, you're trying to turn it Doing around, parking on a camber. Or, it's very easy. Um, so yeah, I completely, I completely so, yeah, I see your I'd, point. I'd there. say good beginner bike if you're relatively tall. If it, I'd say if you're under sort of five nine, five eight, I probably as a sort of a first big bike, I'd go for something with a lower seat height, mm-hmm. unless you need to be going off road from day one kind of kind of where i'm getting at um third question is and uh, this is definitely not aimed at me not one i can answer because i've not really ridden the bike off road um but how did you find the suspension off road james and did you tweak it yeah so i'm i've been trying to uh deep dive a bit into suspension at the moment this is sort of my my latest to do with the bike um i hadn't i haven't tweaked it off road actually i've 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 played with it but i haven't taken off road since um from day one i have ridden it stock and i've ridden it in i mean you would you would testify that i've ridden it in all kinds of conditions on trails yeah i think that's fair to say we've done a a pretty uh pretty mixed bag of fast dry fire fire tracks sort of horrible rutted wet ones we've done river crossings hill climbs yeah i think you've you've put the the bike through its paces and i've not i've not had a problem with it i've I've maybe had the rear bottom out once, maybe twice maximum. Um, I'm not a good, like I said, I haven't tweaked the suspension. I'm, I'm not a super experienced in the world of suspension, which is what I'm trying to work on at the moment. But I've not had problems. I know that people have said, I was just chatting to uh, the guys at Rally Raid, and they've got some springs, and they said just changing the rear rear spring on the shock is, uh, you know, it's less than 100 quid, and there's a transforms the bike. Um, I think a lot of a lot of bikes come pretty softly set up mm, out the box. I think uh, the, arguably too soft for off road. Yeah, there were some guys on YouTube that they they worked out with the sag and they they reckon it's set up for you know some a sixty seventy kilo 
rider. Is that not you? No, I'm nine, about 95 kilos, just because I'm really tall. Just because, yeah, just because you're really tall mm. and muscly. Well, yeah. D- uh, d- well, the, the from go- picking the bike up the so go- often. The GoPro stopped working, so I don't think this is going to go on YouTube. <laughs> so, but so you can't tell. But um, but yeah. So they reckon that out the box, this is set up for for quite a light rider. So if you are really light, then then great, you've got a perfect suspension setup. But um, it sounds like if you if you are a bit heavier, then changing this, you know, stiffening up the springs um might be a way to go later on but like like i said i've not come across a problem yet and i you know i ride it pretty hard i keep up with the guys in the 250s no you don't <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, i guess yeah, the suspension setup and loads and stuff leads us on nicely to the last question we've got here which is how good is it for occasional two-up riding have you taken a pillion on it yet no what do you think do you reckon it because you you've you use your tiger a bit with pillions and I, t- I use a tiger with pillions and i've taken people on pillion on the tracer what do you think? Do you think it's going to be any good? Is there enough, is seventy horsepower enough for? It depends. Uh, it depends what you mean by occasionally. If you're talking about going away, then probably not. I probably wouldn't have taken someone away on the Tiger Eight Hundred. I mean, you could, but you lose a lot of the fun, don't you? I mean, yeah. you've got. I think you remember with a with a bike is if you put another pillion on there, even if they're relatively light, as a percentage of the overall weight of the whole package, it's massive. Well, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's half the weight of the bike. So basically, you are with the two riders. You're almost you're, the, the yeah, bike with all your kit on. Itself. You are exactly. Yeah. So and um, so I, I mean, for a few hours or for a day, no problem at all. As long, if your primary use on the bike is single rider, great. But if you're if you're going two up, especially if you're going to go travelling, because you're going to be two up with luggage, and if it's two of you, you're probably using hard luggage because of space, and space and comfort for the pillion. And you can also probably assume not going to do much if any off-road yeah in which case is this the bike for you tenere 1200 exactly i mean that's why that bike exists exactly and nobody i mean if you i have seen people on the tet facebook page who do two up tet that sounds absolutely (laughs) terrifying i mean i hate going pillion at the best of times let alone it doesn't make any sense very very trusting of your partner yeah i for occasional you know a couple hours day trip whatever sure um i wouldn't ruin the bike um if you prime as long as your primary use is is single single rider but two up primarily get something else fair enough so i think that's a pretty uh comprehensive overview of the tenor i hope we've covered everything for you guys um if there's something we've missed off please get in touch on instagram or through the website or something comment um leave us pm us or something uh, and we will get back to you but uh What's on the agenda for next week, James? So I th- I think we're gonna so we're gonna look at some basic stuff over the next few episodes. So uh, especially now that people can can start getting out, get out and get out and go away, I think we should we should chat about how to start riding off road. So you've got an adventure bike and you want to know, okay, where do I go? What do I do? What skills do I need to learn? How from getting out my door and turning the engine on? How do I get off road? How do I get off road? Sounds good to me. Cool. Um, so yeah, that'll wrap up this week. Like Ross said, we are on social media. I'm at ADV. No, I'm not. I'm at nine to five ADV on Instagram. And I'm at Devonshire underscore biker. Yeah. If you guys want to give us an email, if you've got any questions or you want to write in for next week's episode, we'll read them out. Uh, that is nine to five ADV at gmail.com. Uh, if you've been following along since episode one and 
you are then well done and you are still following along for for episode three then um i mean i might as well start asking for reviews because reviews actually really help so if you want to write a review only if it's good if it's a good review write one if it's if it's not good then wait a few more weeks and then or email and us. see how you feel. Or email us, though. Uh, yeah, and tell if you've got any constructive feedback, we would act, genuinely would love yeah, to hear from it. 100%. About, from you and see, you know, because we're pretty new to this, as I'm sure you can tell. And, um, <laughs> the last thing is if, if you love us, if you think we're doing a good job, if you feel sorry for us and you want to support us in any way, we're not. We're not doing a Patreon or asking for money or anything, but if you're if you're gonna buy some accessories or some kit or whatever, um, if you're in the UK, if you're gonna buy anything from Sports Bike Shop, if you're in the US, if you're gonna buy anything from Revzilla, then we've got some affiliate links in the bio. Click on them; that'll take you through to the main website. It gives a little tracking cookie, and anything you buy, we get a tiny commission back, which means that we can buy biscuits for next week's episode. I think that'll do it. Yeah, I'd, I'd be well happy if we could uh, afford biscuits. <laughs> we've got one. We've got one custom cream on our, on the desk between us. It's left. It's very sad. Yeah, anyway. Thank you all very much, and uh, catch you all next week. Yeah, keep adventuring, everyone, and we will speak to you next week. Bye. <laughs> you didn't share it. Sorry. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.